You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Life After Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. My name is Brad Lieb. I am a former professional hockey player turned personal growth coach. And this is where I explore the life after hockey journeys of other former players and highlight some of the amazing, cool things that they are creating, supporting, and doing. And this podcast would not be possible without the Hockey Podcast Network. Find them online, thehockeypodcastnetwork.com and follow them on Twitter, at HockeyPodNet. Hockey content covering every single NHL market. And I want to take a moment to thank last week's guest, Corey Hirsch, former NHL goalie and current mental health advocate. Corey has dedicated his life after hockey to ending the stigma of mental health. And our conversation touched on things like finding your passion in your life after hockey and practicing non-judgment and compassion for others. Because you really don't know what others are going through. So please practice non-judgment, compassion and kindness. And for more information on Corey's work, go to coreyhirsch.com. And with that, I'd like to jump into this week's interview, a conversation with Brock McGillis, the first male pro hockey player to openly come out as gay. And he did so in a 2016 Yahoo Sports article that I believe had 10 million hits in the first day. And in that article, Brock talks about the fear of never being accepted in the hockey world, that he didn't trust anyone in the hockey world, and talks about having thoughts about taking his own life. Since retiring from pro hockey, Brock has been an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, an advocate for equality, and he does that through a message of educating and also humanizing the issues and that's what you'll hear in this conversation brock also has a plan to implement change within the hockey community a top-down plan that includes the nhl all the way down to minor hockey with an emphasis on major junior and the ncaa and there really isn't anyone more suited for this role than brock mcgillis not only is he a gay man and a former pro hockey player and a former junior hockey player, he's also a communications major and he's certified in diversity inclusion. So I would encourage any and all leagues, associations, teams to reach out to Brock and have him share his story, have him share his message, have him share his experience and hopefully you'll get a piece of that humanizing 
of this issue in this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Brock McGillis. Enjoy. All right, here we go. My guest today was born in Sudbury, Ontario. He's a goalie. He played his junior hockey in the OHL with the Windsor Spitfires and the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. He went on to play his pro hockey with the Kalamazoo Wings of the UHL. He played overseas in the Netherlands, and he concluded his career playing for Concordia University in 2009-2010, and since retired from hockey. He has become an influential advocate for the LGBTQ community. He speaks to corporations, events, conferences, and schools. And I took this from his website because I thought there's so many good words in here. Dedicated himself to the, to create equality regardless of sexuality, gender, or race while focusing on the language we use and how we can shift it to become more inclusive, to educate people on inclusivity, mental health, self-empowerment, non-conformity, as well as empowering LGBTQ plus people to love themselves and develop strategies on how they can best accept themselves. He's also the first male professional hockey player to come out openly as gay. And thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be talking with Mr. Brock McGillis. Brock, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for taking the time. You you really were one of uh, a few uh, people that I wanted to connect with when when thinking about creating this podcast. And and first of all, I just want to say at the time of this recording, it's actually October 11th. It's National Coming Out Day, uh, the annual uh, LGBTQ Awareness Day. So just serendipitous to be connecting with you on this day thank you very much and and just to share that the intention of the podcast is to explore the lives of former players since they left the game and also to highlight some of the great things that players are up to uh after their career and you're definitely you know been uh creating a lot of great conversation and 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 awareness and and i would imagine um you know some of those conversations may have not been easy uh, I'd like to get into that. And first, just, you know, since this is on the Hockey Podcast Network, taking back to uh, take us back to your career and let us know what what, uh, what are some of the things that stick out that you're most, most uh, proud of? I think I'm most proud of my resiliency um, through my career. It's, it's funny, you know, like I was, um, growing up, I was cut from AAA in minor hockey until I was like 14 or 15 and then became like elite, like, cause I just kept working. Like you couldn't, I, I was that stereotype. You, you had to like drag me away from the arena, drag me away from the ice. I grew up in a small town outside of Sudbury for a long time and, um, everyone is like 500 people. It was basically everyone was related or something. And, and, um, my dad's third cousin ran the arena. So like I got to go on the ice whenever I wanted and my parents would drop my meals off. Hmm. You'd have to drag me away. 
and and I made myself into a hockey player. And and going into my OHL draft, I was ranked really high. Um, I broke my hand and missed half the season, which sent me back, and I had uh, surgery for that. And then, um, then went on to play in the league, and I was struggling immensely. I I finally kind of. You know, you're hitting puberty. You're hitting like this. Your sexual hormones are through the roof, and and I was trying to suppress who I was because I didn't think I could play the sport I loved, and you know, be gay. And my identity was so wrapped up in hockey, hmm. so I hit it, and and it led to a lot of depression. I was suicidal. I think on more than one occasion in the O, I tried to take my own life, um, and I kept getting hurt. And I think a lot of my injuries were psychosomatic. I really do. Mm-hmm. I had a season ending injury every year from 15 until I left the sport in my, you know, 26, 27. Um, and yet I kept battling through it and I kept trying to push and make it happen. I was on NHL draft list. I was supposed to have this like linear trajectory to the NHL and have this great career. And, and things just kept happening that were preventing that. And yet I still tried, I still worked. I still pushed, I was still driven and, and um, even through all my struggles and everything else, and I should have probably just quit. I didn't. And ultimately I'm most proud of that, that, you know, through the face of so much adversity, I like just continue to, to push and persevere. And um, I'm able to say I was a professional hockey player and that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And, and I think that resilience piece, you know, definitely foreshadowing maybe a little bit to, to what you've been resilient with in your life these days, I'm sure. And, and, you know, huge acknowledgement, uh, for that, you know, and I, I want to, I want to get into a little bit, you know, talking about hockey and just being in those environments and just because I know what my experience was like and and I was definitely just not aware and and not educated and not to condone any behavior that I've that I had but I I I was I was just definitely um in that in that uh macho uh ego world and with with uh, not so much empathy for anything out of that circle. So you know, looking back to junior and and even and even moving on to pro, what was that like? And did you see any differences from junior to pro uh, at that time? Um, I think it was hell. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Quite honestly, I. I... I took on the role of the stereotype um, at that point. And, and I, I took on the role of the hyper-masculine hockey bro. I became a womanizer um, mm. uh, from the age of 18 until 23. I think I drank daily. Um, I partied hard. I had tons of different women. I acted like a cocky jerk. Like I'd walk into a room like I owned it. I thought it was a gift to the world. And I, I took on this persona. I was basically acting. And 
I did it because I felt like it was the only way I could remain in the sport and not be exposed for who I truly was. And people thought because of this, like I had this great life. Right. But what they didn't know is um, I'd be in major junior and I'd go home and cry, go to my billets place and cry and break down almost every day. And more than one occasion tried to take my own life. Mm. And, um, I hated myself. I resented myself. I resented hockey. I resented everyone around me. Like I just, just hated things. And like that language was so pervasive and commonly used. And, and, um, even through pro, it was the same, you know, and and it wasn't until I was like 23 sitting in Europe that I sat myself down and said, you know, like two things are about to happen. One, your career is ending. Like I said earlier, I was, you know, on NHL draft list, supposed to have this career and, 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 you know, like at 19, I was negotiating a contract with an NHL team and tore my MCL a day later. Like I I was supposed to have this linear trajectory and now I'm 23 sitting in like not a top league in Europe, but like I'm in the Netherlands and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, two things are going to happen when your career is almost over. If you don't figure this out and if you keep going down the stark path and two, you're going to end up dead. And, and it's interesting, you know, I, I wasn't bullied. Hmm. Like I was a hockey bro, you know, like I, I wasn't bullied at school. I wasn't bullied at the rink. I wasn't, you know, I, I intentionally alienated myself at different points because, and like isolated myself because I was so depressed and people didn't know, but even pro and in, in Europe, like I wasn't bullied or anything, but I, I just, the language was so commonly used that it made me feel like I was bad or wrong because it was used in such a negative manner. And to your point earlier, that, that whole thing, it's, I don't blame any players. I used it too. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't blame anyone for that because the reality is um, we are a product of an environment. You know, like you talk about using that language and, and you know, it was like not having the knowledge or, you know, like the ignorance around it. Um, you grew up in hockey culture. How many days a week were you in a rink at night as a kid? Six, seven? Most of them, yes. And and the people who influenced you were probably people who came from hockey culture, coaches True. and everything else, right? So if you think about hockey, most spo- sports are played growing up in schools. So if you're on a basketball team, you may share a locker room with the soccer team and the volleyball team and different things. There's men's teams, women's teams. There's academics still at the school. There's gay straight alliances. There's a whole, like, uh, you know, people from every different walk of life, background, etc. In hockey, we're in a, this rink. We're broken off by age. And we're around three coaches who typically coach us through minor hockey for a few years. And we're with the same 20 kids every single day. Most come, most, not all come from similar socioeconomic backgrounds. They come from different things. 
so and everyone is presumed to be straight um 95 percent of it is probably white you know they're not all but like a very large majority so there's a privilege and a lack of responsibility or or repercussion for saying or doing something that would impact people's lives whether it's racial whether it's you know um using sexist language whether it's um using homophobic language so when you look at all that and you put together yeah no shit we're all going to use that <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like there, there was no ramifications repercussions education or anything to prevent people from using that so it, it, it but it was the same whether i was in europe or in north america and it was the same culture and and it's um it's really interesting that they are the same but it, it just made me feel like it couldn't be me i <laughs> your story moves me from a place of you know i i was definitely uh, wrapped up in, in, in that world and in, in that, in that language and, and just not being aware of, of how powerful your words could be. And, you know, and even, you know, not condoning anything. And we're, we're learning from the environment from before us who learned from the environment before them and the coaches mm -hmm. learned to, from the coaches that they learned from. So, you know, the, uh, uh, a quote that I saw online as well is like homophobia thrives in an atmosphere of silence and ignorance. And, and that's, I feel, you know, without, you know, pointing fingers and I, and I know you're not about that. It's I, what I love about what you're doing now is you're creating that conversation. You're creating those, those openings that, that we, I speak for myself, like I haven't even, thought of that I didn't think of that before you know and 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 with a lot of uh you know conversations that are happening in the world just learning about my privilege and learning about what privilege is even mm -hmm. what that means and just oh I see that differently and that's from people coming out and sharing and you know the black community coming out and sharing what they've been going through and and for you coming out and sharing so you know acknowledging that and, and, and talking with it, I think is, is to me, um, you know, a, a huge piece, a huge starting point. And, and there are, I'm sure, um, people out there that, that were probably, that are probably in, in the shoes that you were in, that they have this kind of false, um, identity that they're portraying, you know, in, in their dressing room. So what, what would your thoughts be or what would you want to say to, to those guys that, you know, they, as far as support goes and, and, and even for yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you had, you know, uh, some support throughout your, your career that before you came out, you know, maybe speak to the support that you had. And then, you know, maybe to some of these players that are, that are maybe wanting to maybe th thoughts for, for, for them moving forward. Um, yeah, and, and to your point about privilege, it's really interesting because even within, you know, uh, specific cultures, like subcultures of society, there's privilege. Like within the LGBTQ plus community, I'm very privileged. 
I'm, you know, six foot one, 200 pound muscular hockey guy who um, didn't get bullied growing up, uh, passes straight on the street. Um, I'm white, I'm masculine presenting, I'm a man identifying as a man. So there's like, there's like a whole hierarchy even within that, you know what I mean? And I think for society, I think a lot of people, when they hear the term privilege, they eye roll or different things and they don't really see it. There's nothing wrong with having privilege. You know, there, in, in, in reality, everyone has privilege because there's always somebody with less. Hmm. But the key is when you have privilege, how do you use it? You know what I mean? It's, it's what do you do that, that you, how do you use your privilege and what do you do to uplift everyone else? Yeah. And that's how I see privilege. And I think that's a really important thing when we're trying to get people to engage in things is recognize like a lot of people just criticize, well, you have so much privilege, blah, 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 to people like on social media, you see that in different things. It's like, yeah, but so do you, everyone does. Mm. It's what are you going to do to uplift the, the people with less? So yeah. for me, I look at this and go, this is, has become my calling, I guess. And, and, um, and some days I hate it and want to quit. And people tell me if not you, then who? And I keep going and rolling with it and struggling and, and lifting myself up. And, but um, I'm doing it for those people with less privilege than me, those people who aren't out, those kids that are struggling, the, the trans youth out there who need support and, and need people to have these conversations for the people who want to play sport. And sport can be used as an outlet, as an empowerment tool and everything else. But it, it, some sports um, like hockey aren't currently. So to, to be able to do that, it's using my privilege to uplift. Hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, my coming out, my coming out came in and, and I think in a lot of situations, you're always sort of coming out. You know, every time I meet somebody new, if they don't know my story, it's like, yeah, I'm this and this is, well, what do you do, Brock? And well, I'm an activist and blah, 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 blah. And I'm kind of coming out to them. Hmm. But when I first came out, it was, um, uh, I took a step back from pro hockey. Just, I had some injuries and I was struggling and I was dating somebody and I decided to, um, go play university hockey, focus on school and then play on the team just in case I decided to make another run at the NHL. And um, one night was there, I broke up with my partner because I told him flat out that I had to keep up the perception that I was straight and the impression that people had of me had to be that I was this hockey bro and, and in my relationship. And um, nobody in my life knew I did somebody for three years as an adult without a soul in my life knowing. And it was, it was insane. But uh, one night I was watching a Leafs game on TV and there was this kid being interviewed between periods and he was talking about following in his father's footsteps and making the NHL as a uh, GM. And that was Brendan Burke, Brian's son. Hmm. Um, did you play for Brian? I did in Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so when I saw that, initially it's intermission, not really paying attention. And then I just heard him say he was gay and it was 
the first time I heard somebody say gay in a hockey context without one person calling another person gay, you know, and, and so my ears perked up and I started paying attention and then, you know, the hockey world's a pretty small place and, and I grew up in Sudbury and, and uh, I grew up with Randy Carlisle's son, Craig played junior with my brother and whatnot. So it was pretty easy to get a hold of Brendan. Um, so I reached out to Brendan and uh, we instantly became friends. Hmm. And I think for both of us, it was such a relief. He had somebody to talk to. And I think this goes to a little bit about what you're you know, talking about, about current players. Um, having that person that understands the duality of these polar opposite things that in the perception in society that they're polar opposite, that being a gay man is this like fabulous, effeminate, flamboyant thing. And it, it can be, and that's beautiful and wonderful. And I'm so envious of those people who live their authentic selves and are unapologetic about it. But you can also be this like hockey guy. And, um, and hockey is so seen as so rugged and hyper-masculine and you're just hockey-driven and party women sports. And the reality is most hockey players aren't fully that either. And both are kind of, you know, those are extremes and both are kind of somewhere closer to the middle. But having somebody I could talk to about hockey and also about being gay and somebody I could talk to about my breakup and for Brendan, somebody he could talk to about, you know, being thrust in this media spotlight mm-hmm. because I, I don't know if he was fully, you know, aware of it. And then his gay friends didn't understand the hockey side and this attention and, and his hockey people weren't gay. So it, there was, you know, empathy and support, but it's tough to find somebody who relates fully. So Brendan and I would talk almost every day. And then one day he sent me a message and it said, I can't wait for the day that you're out to your family like I am to mine. And I remember looking at my phone and throwing it on the bed and ignoring him. And it wasn't because I didn't think my family would be inclusive or supportive of me, but they were so involved in hockey. My brother was first round pick in the OHL and played pro. Uh, my dad coached AAA in junior hockey for 30 years, scouted in the OHL for a long time. And I feared that if they um, knew I was gay, they'd become more sensitive to the language used in locker rooms and stand up to it. And in that process, they may out me. So I ignored Brendan's message. And um, two days later, he passed away in a car accident. And those ended up being the last words he ever said to me. And I started grieving alone. I was still dealing with this breakup of the first person I ever like truly loved. And, and I was going through all this alone and I'd gone through so much alone for so long. And I didn't want to regress back fully to that person. So I um, sat my brother down and I said, Corey and gay. And if I was this hockey bro, my brother's the epitome of, you know, the hyper-masculine hockey guys, six foot two, 210 pound power forward, fought, scored goals, hit people. And, you know, um, he's like, yeah, so. And that was really it. And then I told my parents Hmm. and I told my relatives and um, all my friends who were involved in hockey. 
but I didn't tell anyone hockey. Hmm. Um, and, and then even after I retired, I didn't tell anyone hockey because I moved back to Sudbury and, um, like most hockey people, I didn't know what to do with my life. Right. Because we're so in that I had no idea. Like that's all I'd ever known. I was at the rink seven days a week, my entire life. Like, what am I supposed to do? So is that relatable? <laughs> I see it on your face. Yeah, I can totally, I can totally resonate. Like it, it's, there's definitely the identity of, of a hockey player. And that's what you aspire to be this thing your whole life. And, and even like, I think the conversations are, are, are definitely uh, overlapping. It's, it's like even even what we're talking about of of the identity of being a hockey player and shifting to for my experience whatever your next career is after hockey and trying to find that other passion. I think the the other part of that conversation is what does it mean to be a hockey player? So you know there's there's a lot of um, macho ego is usually louder and and there's definitely that. You know I, I definitely want to acknowledge that there are, you know, some, some, uh, more open conscious people in the game as well. It's not, you're not painting the entire thing with, with that brush, you know, your brother, that was a beautiful example. And, you know, I think it's again, coming back to conversation and wanting to, you know, just create another platform, another conversation around this and some awareness, um, to, to to have it be more part of 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 what it means to 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 banter in a hockey dressing room like yeah no no guys that's that's not acceptable we don't talk about that here well you know that's that's what i that's what i see as evolving of of, of what an identity of a hockey player is it's funny that you say that and that's kind of my goal and, and it'll come full circle to your last question about, you know, a current player, if they needed support or anything. But um, when I retired and I didn't know what to do, I moved back to Sudbury and I started uh, working with athletes. I started an off-ice training business, doing on-ice skill development with players. I had a goalie training business and I was working with over 100 players daily. And um, I was really successful at it. Like I, I had, there was more players in that time frame moving on to major junior from Sudbury than there had been in 10 plus years. Uh, we had like, I had NHL draft picks. I had some guys have like, are going on to careers now that I was working with. And, and, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I was afraid that if their parents knew I was gay, they wouldn't want them to work with me. Hmm. Until one day I got a phone call from a hockey mom and um, she said, Brock, I want to set you up on a date. And I said, what's her name? And she said, Steve. Mm. And I went, oh, shit. And I came to find out that all these athletes knew I was gay. And I was terrified. I thought they'd all leave. And then once I realized that they were staying, um, I thought about coming out. And then I thought instead I would observe their behaviors because I want to see how they acted around me. And, and, you know, I always tried to curb racist, sexist, homophobic language with my athletes and engage with this. But I started to notice that anytime they'd say something homophobic, they'd freeze up and apologize. And then one day 
I wasn't there because I started thinking, cool, maybe I'm creating a shift. You know, hockey is such an insular world and I have this bubble within the bubble of hockey and maybe I'm creating a shift. And then one day I wasn't there and it's when I truly realized I was. Um, I had a sprint coach working with some players on a track and at the end of a two-hour workout, he told them they had 10 more sprints or something. And a younger player who came from a pretty progressive household looked up sprint coach and said, this is so gay, I can't believe you're making us do this. And one of the older players was already in the OHL, um, you know, more ingrained in the culture, looked at him and said, we don't say that here. Give me 50 mm. push-ups. And that became something my athletes adopted. Mm. They would police Love each it. other in a sense where they would do push-ups. And then because these kids are influencers, they took it to their peers at school. They took it to their teammates. Like the younger player, one of his teammates one night, they were 15 years old, were on his teammate was on FaceTime with a young woman and she said, let's hang out. And he said, no, I can't. I have practice. And she said, oh, that's so gay. You never want to hang out with me. And he looked at her and said, give me 50 push-ups right now or I'm never talking to you again. And I thought, like, <laughs> these are two people I've never met in my life. We'll never meet. Like, to this day, I haven't met them. And, and she's doing push-ups on FaceTime. <laughs> But, I love it. Yeah, but it goes to the influence of hockey, especially in Canadian mm. culture. And it, it also goes, you know, to having those conversations and humanizing things and to that progressive, you know, what a hockey player could be. Yeah. And, and to any player struggling right now, I will say, first and foremost, like, reach out to me. I, I think a lot don't, especially like kids do. Adults not in the sport do, but nobody playing hockey at the highest levels do. And I think it's because I'm in the media a lot. There's a lot of attention around me, so they probably fear that if they, you know, start talking to me, everyone's going to assume that they're gay. Um, but ultimately, I know from that experience with Brendan, having somebody who understood the duality in my life was such a relief having somebody who could help, you know, for me, it was trying to integrate myself into queer culture and understand this community I'm a part of the way I understood the hockey community and was a part of that was so difficult navigating it, especially while hiding who I am hmm. and, and having people there that can, you know, support you through that. And, and just to talk to you about things is just, it takes, you know, 500 pounds off your shoulders. Um, and, and in terms of coming out, you don't have to come out. That's nobody's business. Like, that's your choice. And But what I will say is, you know, um, first and foremost, you need to accept yourself. Because only you can accept you. To get acceptance from somebody else means they're above you. And we don't need that. We're all equal. And then from there, learn to love who you are. When I figured that out, that's when I came up publicly. There was, there was things like those hockey kids who, you know, influenced me and, and, you know, became change agents and shift makers and shifted me and, and showed me that I can come out and create shifts. But there's a few other incidents that happened and, but ultimately, it was more me. Like, I, I had offers. Like, HBO wanted to do a documentary on me. And, like, I was telling them in, like, 2010 or 2011, they reached out. I wasn't out. 
Um, I did an interview with GQ anonymously back then. Mm. Like they didn't put my name in. And it was like, I wasn't ready. I hadn't lived a day as a gay man. Who am I to speak on behalf of the community? You know? So, so you have to like accept yourself, love yourself, and then embrace who you are. And then when you do that, you're going to be more open and more willing and less concerned about any hate you might get, any judgment or anything else. Or, and, and you can do it without necessarily having to be, you know, as public and as open as, say, somebody like myself. And mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. The, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the part about just loving yourself, accepting yourself and being comfortable with yourself and, and just being grounded in your own beliefs, I think, you know, all that's going to lead to the, the conversations of, of, of creating that new culture in, in, in dressing rooms. So, you know, just even these conversations, I hope can even empower, you know, others to speak up you know, gay or not to, to, to shift that culture. Uh, you know, my, my experience around, uh, the, the whole womanizing pieces is, is just the part of feeling that that was, that was the norm. I want to be accepted. I wanted to be involved and, and, and do that and, and not strong enough to be able to say, you know, like, Hey, that's not cool. Like, don't do that. You know? So, you know, I, you know, gay or not, you know, coming out or not, you know, having having the the courage to to have those conversations and 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 I and I I appreciate your share. You know, you know, talking about your junior days of 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 wanting to end your life and 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 drinking, like just for for people to be aware that you might have guys on your team that might be going through stuff. If if guys, you know, behavior is. is 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 changing you know check in with that person there's there's usually something going on and and you know i think the awareness and checking in um you know will 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 start that process and you know then you know i, I you, you mentioned brendan burke um around that time you did uh the article in in yahoo sports and and you came out um just take us through you know, maybe how that article came to be and, and, and then more so after, you know, your, your leaning into your courage, what the, what the response was, was after that. So it was right after, um, that whole push up thing happened. Um, I probably should have came out at that point, but I, I was afraid. I grew up in the culture and I didn't think I would be um well received i thought i would lose friends i thought you know um it wouldn't be okay and then a few things gave me the kick in the butt i needed um a hockey association in Sudbury came to find out that i was gay and um it was an association i grew up playing in my brother grew up playing in my father my brother and i had all coached in i was currently coaching in and they wouldn't let my business train any of their teams in season out of nowhere. 
I worked with the most players in the off season. I was the only one who owned a training business that also coached. So I volunteered my time for free, but then my business wasn't allowed to work with their teams in season. And um, true to form, my dad was at a, a rink and he ran into the president and said to him, is it because Brock's gay? Which I kind of assumed my dad would do back then, which is why I never told him before. Um, and the president said, what? I had no idea. Even though that hockey mom had told me essentially that everyone knew, mm. right? That Or that more people had begun to know. Mm. That president went and then called some coaches of teams that I was helping out with on ice. Teams I'd volunteered my time with. And I, I worked like, I would come, jump on as an assistant coach, but I wouldn't go on the road with teams. I would, I would coach like seven or eight teams and help out with practices free of charge. I was at the, I was a rink rat. I was like, like, I just love doing it. And I love working with kids and helping them grow and develop. Um, I showed up at a, a rink the next day and uh, a coach said, had my replacement there and said, I no longer need your services. And two or three teams kicked me off staffs. So they found out I was gay. And this is like 2015, 2016. Like this isn't that long ago. And um, so all my fears of, you know, being rejected in hockey kind of came true. And then a couple of other things happened. There was an incident at Pulse nightclub where 49 people were murdered right. um, for being gay. And for the queer community, the reality is, you know, I live in Toronto now. I'm walking down the street in Toronto. If two men are holding hands or two women uh, kissing on a street, they're probably going to be called names. They may be threatened with violence or hate or anything else, um, you know, or they might actually be physically attacked. And then there's, even worse, imagine being trans and, and like, you know, there trans women, especially trans women of color, being murdered at alarming rates. So those queer spaces are safe spaces for my community, and that was ripped away from us. Hmm. And after that, I just said, like, I have to do something. So I reached out to a friend of mine, Sanaya Sapurji, is a journalist at the time. She was with Yahoo Sports. Uh, she used to be with Toronto Star, and now she's with The Athletic. And um, she covered me in junior, and actually one night she convinced me not to kill myself in junior. Um, she called me at 3 in the morning and convinced me to not take my life. And... Um, we had a really good friendship and she, um, I told her, I said, I'm coming out publicly and she said, all right, let's do it. So I just had enough and I wrote the article. Um, we released it early November, 2016, and it was the most overwhelming day of my life. Um, I thought maybe I, you know, get a couple of hits and, and, you know, maybe help a few people, but the very least empower myself and not let anyone use my sexuality against me anymore. Hmm. That day alone, I received over 10,000 messages from people all over the world. Beautiful. Um, you know, and, and some of the messages were support. Um, some of them were more intense, like people's struggle. Like uh, I still get that a lot. You know, people who are struggling all over the place come to me 
which I don't mind. It's just, it's overwhelming. Um, but yeah, it was wild and never in my, you know, never did I anticipate this would become a career and that coming out that day would lead to me being a public speaker who travels the world, um, have, you know, a digital TV series, have like all these opportunities and cool things and, and have a voice and be a part of a shift of a culture. Um, I didn't anticipate that. I don't think I could have, I don't think I could have, you know, like I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't prepared for it and it was incredibly overwhelming, but still so amazing. Um, mm. since, since it's happened, I, I closed down my businesses. I do this full time. Now I'm a full time activist advocate, whatever. Um, mm. I, I travel the world doing it and, and, um, it's changed my life. It's made me see the world differently. It's, it's opened up my eyes, but it's also motivated me and fueled me in a way I never thought possible. Well, it's, it's definitely just so inspiring when, when you see someone living with that much courage, it's, it's inspiring. You want to, you want to be a part of it. You want to support it. And, you know, I, I, I love that there was, you know, over 10,000 uh, positive responses on the first day. So not even since then. Uh, and, and I think that also goes back to just the idea of the, the negativity is usually louder, you know, than, than the positivity and just, you know, the encouragement that there are those people that support and we, with, with all these different causes, we need those kind of people to actually contribute to the, the consensus consciousness as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just have all these negative comments because then you're, that's all people are going to hear. It is, you know, almost a responsibility for us to, for us all to share. I believe, um, you know, silence is, is not an option. Anymore. Silence is deafening. It's, you know, silence is complacency is complicit. You're true. complicit to all Agreed. the negativity if you don't stand up against it. Agreed. Agreed. And, and yeah, courage, courage to stand up as well. Um, and, you know, you, you, you mentioned you're, you're doing this full time now, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. What uh, can you speak to? you know, maybe some of the things that you've seen change or evolve during your time, um, if, if, if anything, around the hockey community and uh, what, what that's looked like. And, and do you think uh, it's moving in a place that we can see openly gay players at the highest levels? Well, I, I think you're an ex NHL and professional hockey player. And we're sitting here talking about homosexuality in the LGBTQ plus community on a podcast. <laughs> Tell me that would have happened five years ago. No. So I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. Um, is it incredibly slow? Yes. Um, I think first and foremost, we have to break the barriers of conformity within the sport. 
um, we need people to celebrate that they are different and that they have things they enjoy other than hockey or sport. And, and once we do that, then it will normalize the fact that we aren't this stereotype of what a hockey player is, but in fact, it's a persona we're taking on. You know, we're still at a point in the culture where a player like Dougie Hamilton, who's a six foot five right hand shot, smooth skating defenseman, like every team's dream has mm. been, you know, point per game defenseman has been traded twice because he'd rather go to a museum or read than go for beers with the boys. Mm. So, so while I think in terms of performative stuff at levels of hockey where we see these, you know, you can play nights or pride nights or, or pride tape on sticks, that's lovely. That's, that's a wonderful thing, but there needs to be more humanization that doesn't exist fully at any level of the sport. As you said yourself, you didn't know the impact of anything you were saying. True. You know, if we don't humanize these issues, it's the same thing with racial things. I mean, um, in Canada, the, the way, you know, players will joke with or think they're joking with indigenous players, you know, uh, the racial comments towards indigenous people, the ra racial comments towards black people or other minority groups, um, the way we still talk about women, the way we still talk about the LGBTQ+, those comments still exist. And, and I think a lot of the time, um, people don't really relate those comments to a face. You know, they don't really necessarily think about the impact they're having on people. Um, I think we have to humanize these issues so that they realize that there's, there's somebody they're hurting and likely somebody they know, somebody in their life. And when we do that, they'll be less likely to do it. They'll be less likely to use that type of language. Um, so we need to humanize and that's a big thing. I will say though that in going around uh, two years ago, I went across the OHL and spoke to all their teams. And one of the biggest things I get is um, um, players will come to me after and say, I didn't realize the impact of my words. And then what they also don't realize is, you know, hockey players, especially in Canada, are influencers. So the things they say and do, especially at that junior age level, AAA level, what they say, what they do is then copied by younger players, copied by their peers, and then you know, influence entire society. Um, a major junior hockey player is treated with the same clout as an NHL player in those communities, except now they're accessible. They're accessible to adults who treat them like NHL players are accessible to their peers at school and they're accessible to youth because they go to practices and kids wait for them after the game, et cetera. Mm. So that language is, um, and those behaviors and attitudes are copied, but they in thought and, and are more inclusive than previous generations. They've been exposed to more through the internet, through Instagram, through so much that they, you know, don't necessarily aren't opposed to the idea of a gay teammate and whatnot, the same way older players probably are. But they, um, 
still use the same language. They're still a part of the same environment. So the language really has to evolve. Um, there are changes, they're incredibly slow, incredible, not fast enough for my liking. Uh, and I think it's gonna take people like me, you know, keep trying to break those ceilings and make it a more inclusive environment. Because not for anything else, like I don't give a shit if there's an NHL player that's gay. I really don't, couldn't care less. You know, like I don't think that matters. But what I do think about all the time is uh, I had a trans boy come to me not long ago and he was struggling. He was cutting himself daily. I was 15 or 16 years old. And then he found bodybuilding and weightlifting. And that became his release. Hmm. That empowered him to feel good. That's what he did every day and he stopped cutting himself. You know, it empowered him. And I think about hockey in this country and, and the influence and, and it has over our entire society. And I think, shouldn't that be hockey? Shouldn't that be hockey in Canada that empowers these kids? I think that's, there, there's, you, you're, ma you're making so many good points. There's so many things. It's, you know, yes, in Canada, definitely there's, there's uh, hockey players, hockey people can, can be very influential and 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 just sharing the idea of and, and the awareness of how powerful language can be and and you might not even know whose ears are hearing what you're saying and how that's going to affect them you know what in two or three hours when they're by themselves so like just not even knowing that and then you know just being aware of that now so shifting the culture that way i i do i i do get back to you know, the, the, the conversation of, of what it, what it means to be a hockey player. And, and we connected briefly a little while ago, I had a, a, a tweet that I was asking my question on Twitter was, you know, how would you feel if your daughter dated a pro hockey player just to get a general kind of consensus, you know, it, it was mixed. And, you know, there was the, the kind of comments that, you know, it depends what team they had and I want to get tickets and those kind of silly comments as much as the, the people that were involved in the game that, that have been around the game, all their answers said, no, I wouldn't want my daughter to date a hockey player because of, they know what that culture is like. So, you know, getting back to what does it mean to be a hockey player? What, what does it mean to be a hockey player? How do we want to influence our, 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 our hockey community of what that means. And, you know, I, I, that's what I like about the, you can play movement. It's we're, we're talking about a sport. We're, we're talking about a sport that wants to win. Do you want to win? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Brock's going to shut out the team. So yeah, I want him. On, I want him on my team. It doesn't matter because I want to win the championship. So a lot of these conversations, you know, I, I love I love the work that you're doing. Um, I love the, um, you know the uh, the the awareness that that you're you're providing. Um, and and one quote you were you were interviewed on CBC the National, and one of your quotes in there was you will feel better, you will feel happier, and you will be stronger when you learn to love yourself for who you are such a powerful quote that can be taken in so many different contexts of, 
of even who do you want to be as a leader, gay or straight in a hockey room? How do you want to show up? As well as let's create environments that 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 are safe for people to be whoever they want to be. So, you know, that really stuck out for me. And, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, in closing, I, I'd, I'd love to just before you go, what has, if any, um, been your relationship with the NHL and, and any kind of um, uh, change or, or pushback with, with the league? Um, I've, I have an interesting relationship. I, ha I have a pretty good relationship with Kim Davis. Um, we talk regularly. I, I think they're starting, or at least Kim sees the importance of the work I'm doing. Um, there's an old guard at the league that I think, you know, is very uncomfortable with what I say and do. Mm. Um, I've been hypercritical of the NHL for a long time and, and not out of malice or, or anything else, except, you know, like I look at there's uh, 2017 playoffs and, um, can I swear on this? Feel free. Okay. Uh, Ryan Getzlav uh, called the referee a cocksucker three times. Hmm. And the league deemed that that wasn't homophobic. And I, you know, got picked up in the Canadian press called and Sportsnet and the National brought me back on. And because um, I said, well, it is in fact homophobic if a man saying that to another man in a negative context. And, and um, uh, it's interesting that a bunch of straight men at the NHL are deciding what's homophobic and what isn't. And that isn't to rip Ryan Getzlav. I don't rip players. I, I, I think they're all a product of an environment, but that's a major corporate. The NHL is a corporation. And if that was any other corporation in society, there be repercussions and ramifications. So I, I, you know, so from that and, and, and like they know and haven't really stopped it. I got death threats. Like I had 50 death threats after that comment about the NHL and Ryan Getzlav. Hmm. <laughs> like people like literally saying they're going to murder me, like DMing me my address, like, you know, intense stuff. And so to me, um, I, and, uh, I was critical again this year of them in an article in Plains where I said, you know, these pride nights are like, uh, having the parade before winning the cup. You haven't done any of the true work to shift the culture, but you're having celebrations shift culture first, and then you'll have something to celebrate. So sure. I, I think for the older guard it's very intimidating the things i say but i think what if they ever sat down with me the older guard they'd realize that like hey i get where you're coming from because like i grew up around you <laughs> you know i'm i'm really one of you i just happen to have kind of left that bubble and seen the world from a different view but can also you know, bring myself back into it and, and, and have those conversations with you. Um, so I, I hope our relationship evolves. I think it is. I would love to do some work with them. I think there's opportunity and possibility. I think I could humanize things for players like I, I, I do across the world. And, and really, you know, like I think we saw even 
through the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd was murdered, there's 200 or so NHL players who made statements. Well, that's great. And, and that's, that was from the humanizing aspect. But I think we need, you know, to um, humanize and then have education available to them. You know what I mean? Like, here, we're going to teach you. We're the entity, entity overseeing this world. We're going to teach you this stuff. And, and those academics who teach it are out there, and, and the people to humanize it are out there who have the lived experience. And, and, it, and it bothers me that it's not being done. And so for that, every time I make a comment, I get emails and different things, and they're not very happy with me. But at the same time, I'm not going to stop because they need to change. And, and if they were any other corporation other than a sport, you know, people would stop buying their products. Yeah, please don't stop. Keep, keep going. I, I've actually started referring to them as the Republican Party. <laughs> so so what would what would next steps look like for you what would be kind of the immediate next things on your wish list that okay let's do this first in in hockey like the nhl or in 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 i i guess i'm thinking more the nhl because i okay. feel like you know that's that's where a lot of uh trickle down would happen and, and a lot of influence would come from that league as much as, you know, not trying to point the finger at them as much as like, hey, you're the biggest kind of kid on the block and you have a lot of influence. So on your wish list, what, what could the NHL do? Um, what I would like to see is a, a, a three-tiered program. Um, I think top down, so NHL down to minor hockey, but bottom up at the same time. And also with a lot of emphasis on major junior and CAA. Um, I would like to see every issue, um, every group that's you know protected under you know the human rights tribunal, like like human rights groups, like marginalized groups. I'd like to see those things humanized for hockey players, with the recognition, like recognizing that these people aren't hockey's hockey people are great people. I yes. truly believe that. I think, you know, you look at any issue that comes their way, hockey people rally. Whether it's yes. Humboldt, whether it's cancer, whether it's anything surrounding a player or a small town or anything, people rally in hockey and they're the best at it. They're so good at rallying around something, but they need to realize that these are issues hmm. that need to be rallied around. So I think humanizing them so they hear them is the first step. And then from there, see, the other thing with hockey is you have these predominantly straight white men. And, and I say that without it being a negative. Um, some of my favorite people in the world are straight white men. So I, I don't, you know, but I think they're taught from a young age as, as men, as white men, as straight men, that we need to fix things. So they want to do it themselves. And the problem with that is, well, you, you don't know anything about this. You don't have any experience in this. It's like not looking at a map trying to get somewhere. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you're going to get lost. It's inevitable. Hmm. And, and that's what's happened time and time again, I think, with these issues. Um, bring in people like myself, 
like I, I have the lived experience. I've gone to school for this. I'm certified in diversity and inclusion. I'm a communications major. Like th these are my, like this is my life. I speak at right. major conferences around the world on this. Right. Um, and let people like me humanize it. Go around your locker rooms, go around to your front offices, go around to your owners. And then from there, take those teams and go into minor hockey the local minor hockey with the team. So then you get that street cred of having those couple of NHL players there. Plus now they're hearing the issue. After you've humanized, like we saw with, after George Floyd, people engaged, except there was no education available to them. They had to go seek it out themselves if they did at all. That's where you will get people to want to learn. You need to have academics in place who will create the proper education for these players to learn about these issues beyond, you know, what they're going to Google, where they might get good information, they might get bad information. Let's give them the best information. And then they'll start to shift. They'll start to recognize the impact of what they're saying. And then that'll have impact on junior players because the reality is most of these people during the summer, probably skate with a major junior player or two or at dev camps or at training camp in the NHL. And then how they act will then have that, like you said, that trickle down on major junior, which will ultimately have the trickle down on minor hockey. And also, you know, when they're back home in the summers and they're hanging out with their buddies that they grew up with who are probably coaching now, then the coaches in minor hockey won't be using that type of language or behaviors the NHL players might talk about what they just learned. And then from there, you know, we can have that stuff in major junior and we can have the same stuff in minor hockey. It's not hard to have a town hall. I mean, it's everything is so accessible with the internet today, you know, a zoom town hall with, with four or five different speakers on major issues. is pretty easy. Having online education, proper online education because stuff is out there. Isn't very good. Um, it can be done and it's something honestly i can't say with who but i'm working with a province right now to put this all together um we're actually working on um i have 10 academics 10 of the top minds in uh different areas from abuse to conformity to you name it um working on this and and we're we're going to make this happen and then hopefully the NHL buys in on it and hopefully other provinces and, and countries do as well. And we can actually shift the culture. And then if, if you can shift hockey culture, why can't you shift football culture? Why can't you shift baseball culture or basketball or any other sport and, and male team sport cultures? And it can happen. And I think it will happen. It's just... So that's my, my dream is, is to have them actually do it effectively where we can go around and actually teach these players about what's going on and do it in, in a non-finger-pointing way, just humanize experience, lived experiences of minority people. Love it. I, I, I acknowledge you for humanizing this issue, and, and I do uh agree with with just having those conversations starting those conversations and and i appreciate you even just sharing with us and sharing with me and um from a place of that's you know just just wanting to to educate just wanting to share just wanting to have the conversation and 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 yeah you're definitely um more than qualified to, for for the job so i i urge you know 
any and all hockey communities to to reach out to you and and Thank you. so that you can continue to share um and and that being said what is the uh how do you want people to reach out and follow and and support you yeah um there's number of different ways um instagram brock mcgillis 33 um my dms are always open same with twitter brock underscore mcgillis or uh by email you can reach me through my website brockmcgillis.com um you know i uh, i post a lot i post a lot of stuff that people may find controversial sometimes intentionally um to try and poke and prod and get people to think and think critically um, but ultimately, you know, I just want everyone to feel good. I want everyone to have a space where they're happy and enjoy and, and feel welcomed. And cause like hockey's really cool mm. and it can be even better. And that's what I want. I want it to be the best it can be. So, you know, um, let's engage. I'm open to any conversation or any dialogue about any of this stuff. People message me all the time, things they think might be a stupid question. I'm happy to have conversations or if they don't understand why I'm saying what I'm saying, like ask, feel free to ask. That's the only way we're going to learn. Agreed. And, and yeah, I, I can appreciate your, uh, some of your passionate tweets that you have and, you know, I think it's, you know, just one last kind of uh, comment about just the negativity being loud. And, and I can appreciate that might be frustrating dealing with that all the time. And, and, and I know that for the most part, you do just want to have the conversation. Let's just sit, let's have a conversation. Let's sit down and, and, and spreading that awareness. So yeah, definitely um, encourage everybody to, to educate themselves um, and, and follow and, and, and speak out to, to what you believe in, what you resonate with. And uh, yeah, just again, acknowledge all the work that you've done, acknowledge your courage, and uh, you're welcome back here anytime to, to continue the conversation. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for doing this and, and thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, no, honestly, anytime, let me know. And uh, We'll do this again. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's great to talk to somebody who has um, who's willing to open their mind and critically think about it all. It's it's time. It's just it's time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Brock. We'll we'll sign off and hopefully catch up to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Take care. So there it is. A long conversation with many takeaways, starting with Brock's desire and vision for hockey to create a space for everyone to feel good, to be happy, to enjoy and feel welcomed. And all that starts with educating and just having the conversations. And I want to thank Brock for educating and having the conversation with me. I admittedly used to use homophobic language in the dressing room and not proud of it. And to think that I may have caused an environment for a friend or a teammate to feel uncomfortable or bad or wrong, it really doesn't make me feel good. And 
yeah, not proud of it. Brock mentioned that he would go home and cry in junior hockey and even have thoughts of taking his own life. So for anyone that I may have inadvertently affected with my language, behavior, I truly am sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. And a few other things that I wanted to mention that stuck out. First was the story that Brock told about the late Brendan Burke and how when Brock reached out to Brendan, how he felt it was a relief for both of them. A relief because it was someone within the hockey community that could relate to what the other was going through. And that was so touching and I would encourage if there's anyone out there that wants to have the conversation with someone within the hockey community and you don't know who to reach out to, I know Brock's open to it and it could provide that same relief for you as it did with Brock and Brendan. And also the story that Brock shared about his brother Corey the prototypical power forward and just how unfazed his brother was. And just the fact that that unwavering family support is always so heartwarming and, you know, shows that perhaps conversations don't have to be as scary as we might imagine them to be. And the last reflection, I just wanted to mention how Brock said that he had a major injury almost every year from 15 to 27. And he believes that they were psychosomatic. So what is psychosomatic? It's a physical illness or condition created by a mental factor such as an internal conflict or stress. And if he feels this way, there, there probably is a little bit of truth to it. And I just believe that that shows how powerful our minds are and it also points to how reaching out for help and talking with people that you trust and clearing any stuff that you have bottled up inside how very important that is and you know in the words of Brock McGillis you know accept yourself and love who you are I want to thank my guest Brock McGillis for his time, his thoughts, his education, and his courage. I want to thank the Hockey Podcast Network. And I want to thank you, the listener. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of this interview. Please find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brad M. Lieb. Share your thoughts. Share your critiques. And until next time... Keep going and enjoy your life. See you next time. I think that went very-